Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. So good to see you all here this morning. Before we get into the sermon this morning, uh, this past Friday was a historic moment in the history of our nation. And I'd like to read something that I never thought I would read in my lifetime. Uh, but it's a statement based on what has happened, and I just want us to focus and direct our attention to what God has done and what God's calling us to do in this moment. Friday was a historic day in the history of our republic. For 49 long years, our nation had legally and wrongfully sanctioned the murder of innocent children in their mother's womb. Although Friday's decision leaves the legality of abortion for the states to decide, we can rejoice that because of Friday's overturning of Roe versus Wade, that millions of lives will be saved. This is not a time for us to debate legal th- issues or, or ethical uh, lessons, but there are several issues we must remember as we, as the people of God, move forward. First, we at Life Fellowship want to recognize the pain that abortion has brought to many of us in this room. Although for many Christians and Americans, we see this, this issue through a political and ethical lens, you see this through a personal lens. You have experienced the consequences of the choice you made to end a pregnancy. And we want you to know that you are loved and that there's incredible healing, forgiveness, and restoration through the name, the blood, and the power of Jesus. Just because we stand for issues of life doesn't mean that we will not also stand with you, no matter what your past is, as you seek the Lord to give you his wholeness and healing. Second, There's much more work to be done. As states begin to restrict or amplify abortion across our land, we must acknowledge that laws, decrees, and decisions do not change the hearts of men and women. The overturning of Roe is only a swing of the axe against the stronghold of evil in our nation. The only thing that will change the heart of a person is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ebbs and flows of political power may influence the accessibility of abortion, but we know that there's a greater power at work, the power of Jesus to overturn hearts and minds towards him and towards righteousness. We pray that abortion one day will be as abhorrent in our minds and our hearts as slavery is today. Next, we must continue to love, support, and come alongside those women and families who will have to choose life. The church must respond with more than words, so we will continue to support, advocate, and come alongside women in crisis pregnancies. At Life Fellowship, we have a long history of supporting crisis pregnancy centers, foster care in various forms, single moms, and other pro-life organizations. To be pro-life is more than just being against abortion. God is referred to continually throughout Scripture as a stronghold and as a refuge. And may we, his church at Life Fellowship, now embody this reality of God here in our Lake Norman community. Now is our time to answer the call to love in word and in deed and to be holistically pro-life. Finally, now is the time to be bold. Do not apologize for rejoicing in this moment. No matter what the masses or the mobs say in the streets or on social media, we should acknowledge and celebrate whenever righteous judgments of government, when they make them to follow the law of God. Do not shrink back. Do not be embarrassed. 
just because your opinion or your beliefs may be unpopular. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. And know how to share it. May God bring a spirit of repentance to our nation once again so that we will experience the abundant life of Jesus. Let's close, or let's, let's, let's have a time of prayer. And I just, as, as we pray, I want you to pray. One of the things that Scripture models for us whenever there is corporate sin is that we confess the sins of our people. And for the tens of millions of lives that have been lost over the last 50 years, there's a lot of confessing that we have to do as a nation. And there's still going to be abortions, there's still going to be murders, but we as the church must learn how to stand in the gap and go before our Lord to change the hearts and minds of our people. Let's, let's bow and pray. Father, I, I, I first just confess that in my lifetime, on, on our watch as representatives, as ambassadors for Jesus, as followers of Jesus, God, on our watch, we have seen the sin of abortion continue to expand. And God, we pray right now that, that although we celebrate this decision, we also recognize that, God, we, we want you to do more. We expect you to do more. We're desperate for you to do more. That, God, there would be a movement of your Holy Spirit to bring a, a movement of repentance across our land, that people, individuals, would repent of their sins and turn to you wholeheartedly. And so, God, we, we find ourselves in a crucial moment where, where people are, are, are highly emotional. We pray that, Father, we would bring not just the spirit and the emotion of this issue, but the truth of this issue to light. And, God, for every woman or man that has been connected to or to making a decision to have an abortion, God, I just pray that right now in this moment they would feel a sense of your presence the sense of your love, the sense of your forgiveness and healing, God, that, that only you can give to them. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, my, my, my family right now, uh, the mo- most of my family is in Michigan. They're in Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, because my, my, my family's gone up to this camp, Lake Ann Camp. Uh, it's a Christian summer camp. I went there when I was a teenager, and now we, used to set, we send our kids up there ever since they've been in the third grade. And so it's been kind of a, a, a yearly and annual pilgrimage that we travel from Charlotte up to northern Michigan. And uh, it's one of the best weeks of our life, but I, I for, because of work reasons and some other reasons, I could not make it this, uh, this, this year. I, I couldn't drive up with our family. So, uh, you know, for 20-some years, we've been driving up there, whether me as a youth pastor or us taking our kids up there. And uh, so it's a little sad for me whenever I cannot go up there and be with them. And so as a, as a husband and as a father, knowing my wife, even though she's done the trip before, uh, I, I was always checking out on them. You know, I've got those apps where we can find out where they're at in the, on the journey. And, and I would call them up, and, and I was calling my wife right around, uh, you know, about 10.30 in the morning. And I was like, hey, how's the trip going? And she's like, I'm on highway, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? What do you mean you're on that highway and not this highway? I'm just following what Apple Maps tells me. Right? Now, now again, I, I, I'm pulling up my phone. I'm just seeing and I'm calculating. I'm like, okay, I don't know what happened. You know, sometimes how things recalculate if there's an accident or something. But it just was like, they, they, were, go, they were heading on a highway going this way when they should have been going this way. 
And so, so all of a sudden, I'm thinking, man, you are off course. This is going to take extra time. This is a, this is a 14-hour trip. You don't want to go sideways when you should be going north. That's a bad idea. And, and, and as I think about that, because, because whenever you're on a trip, the, the most important thing about a trip is that you get to the destination. And one of the biggest things that can, can sidetrack you on a destination is getting lost or, going, or, or getting sidetracked or getting stuck in a place. And, and what we see in Psalm 32 is that there are destinations that, that, we, are, that we are invited into. Paul, or, or David gives these destinations of people that, that are going to follow God or not follow God. And look at, look at, I just want you to see verses 10 and 11 again. We're going to begin with the end of the psalm. It says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. What we have before us, what David is saying is there is a pathway, there is a road that leads to sorrow, and there is a road that leads to joy. And those roads are before all of us today. I love this description. I love this, the way this uh, the psalm is laid out because David, the, the, the background of this psalm is that David writes this psalm after his, his sin with Bathsheba. Now, now, he writes two psalms in, as a response to his, his sin, his repentance, and his coming out of, of this sin and being restored. And the first psalm he writes is Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, he, he, it's, it's the fresh it's the fresh reflection. And in this, he, he writes a number of things. He says, you know, don't take, your whole, don't take your, the presence of your Holy Spirit from me. And the other says this in verse 13, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And so what you have in Psalm 51 is this raw, this emotional, like I'm just coming out of this dark period of my life. And I'm, I, there's a lot of things that feel uncertain to me. Are you still going to walk with me? Are you still going to be there for me? And I just, there's no joy yet. I know that there's joy on, on the other side of where I'm in, but I just feel broken because of my sin. Psalm 32, I don't know how much longer it, it was between the space of writing Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, but we do know this, that those two issues that, that, that David struggled with, God, are you going to be with me? God, are, 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 are you going to restore the joy? He is able to say, I've walked this road, and he has been with me, and he has restored my joy. This is, Psalm 32 is David's journey out of sin. This penitential psalm. Remember we talked about this, this series, Seasons with God. In the very first week we talked about this, what this means is in our lives we have this, in our one hand, the theology and our understanding of who God is. That's what we have in one hand. In the other hand, we have our experiences. And we have our, our, what we're going through, we are our choices. And when those come crashing together, our experiences with, who, with the reality of who God is, that's what we call a season. And for, for all of us, here's what I know about about. This is that every single one of us in this room has a struggle with sin. You know why I know that? Because you're all human and you're all breathing. And that, which means that there is a reality of this struggle. Now, now a lot of 
there's so many issues that we could talk about dealing with our own sin, but when we are in a season where we feel stuck in our sin, or when we are in seasons where we feel like, man, I am just far from God. I was once, I was once going north. I was once heading to a direction that God wanted me to go to, but now I'm going sideways with the decisions and the choices I'm making. We all find ourselves there. All of us have been there. And so when we talk about sin, when we talk about this issue, it's, it's not about one of those sermons where any of us can feel like, oh yeah, I'm glad this guy is hearing this. Or this person, I'm glad this person's in the room. No, this is, this is a sermon that is good for all of us to be in the room. Because every single one of us, at some level, struggles with sin. And how this psalm really deals with it, the issues of sin is, how, how, do I, how do I get back on track? When I make the wrong choice, when I do something I know I shouldn't, when I lose my temper for the hundredth time, when I lie and gossip to my friends to make myself look better, when I, when I look at pornography again, when I take something that shouldn't be mine, when I, when I, am, when I am apathetic and, and just, just reject just being, wanting to feel anything towards God, all of those issues are various kinds of sins. But when we commit that sin, what do we do? This psalm is a psalm for us that keeps us from going, if we go, the, one, the moment we go sideways, the moment we turn left or turn right, how do we get back going to true north again? The way that God wants, getting on that path to joy. All of us are somewhere. All of us are somewhere on this road. We're either heading towards sorrow or we're heading towards joy this morning. Where are you? Where are you on this path? Where are you on your journey can you remember a time when there was joy in your salvation? There was joy you had in the Lord? Or are you in a moment where you just feel like there is a funk and there is dryness and there is sorrow that your sin is producing? All of us are somewhere. What path are you on? And so the main idea I want to leave us with this morning is this. That there's, a, there's a path to joy when we deal with sin God's way. There is a path to joy when we deal with sin God's way. You see, when we deal with sin our way, that's when we go sideways. That's when we go actually south instead of north or east or west. But there is a path that leads to joy. There is a path that God gives to us. He's saying, listen, when you do something wrong, here's how you get back on track. And Psalm 32 is for us to learn about how to get back on track when we sin. So let's look at this structure of Psalm 32. What we see in this structure is we see a, a chiasm of this text. And again, a chiasm is one of those things where you see the beginning and the ends matching each other, and there's different layers to it. So we'll put the, the chiasm on the screen this morning. But as you see, it begins in verses 1 and 2 with this idea of blessing. Blessedness. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. See, you begin with this blessedness, and then it ends with this uplifting statement. Be glad, rejoice. So you see this. David is understanding. He's rediscovered the joy of his salvation. And he's saying, blessed are those, right, who experience forgiveness. And then rejoice and be glad. He sandwiches these ideas, and then he's going to share what he has learned. Now, what we have here is there's also a mini chiasm in verse, between verses 1 and 5, and then there's another section between verses 6 through 11. 
And the reason why we know that is because in verses 1 and 2, there are three different words for sin. It says transgression, sin, and iniquity. And what do you see in verse 5? He says sin, iniquity, transgression. So we see a little mini chiasm. There's a, a section there. And then there's a second section. But you see these I statements from David and then an I statement from the Lord. And then God, he addresses God directly in the end of verse 5, and then he addresses God directly in verses 6 through 7. And for every single one of these moments, there's a, there's a key stop saying, Selah, pause, reflect. And that's important. You know, it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, as you come in here, one of the things that we've been doing over the last few months uh, is to introduce a moment of quiet meditation in our services. And the re- there's a reason why we do that. We first want the Word of God read to you so that you can hear the Word of God yourself and that you can meditate on the Word of God so that the Holy Spirit can speak to your life first before I do. When that scripture is read and you pause and meditate, the thing that you should be asking is saying, God, what is it you want me to hear this morning? And it's important for us to just pause and to wait. And every single one of those, these, these breaks in the psalm, he, David says, I want you to pause and reflect and think about this. And so there's this, all these things, his experiences in the first half, and then at the end is, is what he's learned. He's going to share with us what he has learned about himself and what he's learned about God. But know that there's a path. So he's saying there's a path to sorrow and there's a path to joy. And in understanding that path to sorrow, there are choices we need to make when we sin. And the, so there's two choices that we have before us when we sin. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, these two choices. And the first choice is this. We can either cover up or we can be covered. We can either cover up or we can be covered. Look again what it says in verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He's listening, listen, there's a lot of things happening here in the beginning. The first thing that we see here, he's saying, blessed is the one. Now, if you were here last week and you heard Dan's sermon on Psalm 1, how does Psalm 1 begin? Blessed is the man, right, who does not walk in the path of the wicked or stand with sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. There's this pattern you see here. And David is, is writing this. David has written Psalm 1. He's the one who wrote Psalm 1. And what he's writing here is a reflection on what he has already written. So if, if Psalm 1 is true, that hey, there's two paths, the path of wickedness and the path of righteousness. So go on the path of righteousness. What happens when you veer off the path of righteousness? And what he sees, what he does here is you'll see this pattern of three throughout this psalm. Because remember, in Psalm 1, he said he has three things to say. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the path with the wicked, or stand with sinners, or sit with scoffers. And what you have here in this text is three three wordings of sin. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is forgiven. Is covered, blesses the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. So he he marks, he parallels in Psalm 1 these three sin statements. He used three different words for sin, and each of these words is, is a way to express that David is saying, Listen, there's all different kinds of sin. And when he says transgression, he's saying there's some sin that's just rebellion. There's just, God, you say go this way, I'm going this way. God, you want me to do this, I'm going to do that. There's some sins that are just like, I'm going to do what I want to do. It's kind of the heart, the spirit 
of man. But then there's other sin. That, that The actual word for sin is this idea of missing the mark. It means there's a bullseye of holiness and righteousness that we should be living. And when you go off and you hit an arrow like off the bullseye, that's sin. There's a perfect standard for righteousness. And when you don't live it out, that's sin. And then the last word, iniquity, is this idea of corruption or perversity. It's a sin that says, hey, listen, things are getting worse. They're progressing. Things never stay the same. If you're going to sin you will, and you don't deal with your sin, you will keep sinning. And that's exactly what David is, is acknowledging. And you see these, this clump of three sin words that he gives right up in the beginning. He's saying this, listen, you either have two choices. You're either going to experience the joy and the blessing of dealing with your sin the right way, or you're going to try to deal with sin on your own. That's exactly what he talks about in verses 3 and 4. Look what it says in verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. See, David is going through something. He's saying, listen, I remember what it was like. I remember what it was like when I was walking in sin. I remember what it was like when I was ignoring my conscience. I remember I, I didn't acknowledge my sin to you. Now, now, the last thing he says in verse 2 corresponds to what he did in verse, verse 3 and 4. Because what he says is, Blessed is the man in whose spirit there's no deceit. What David was saying is, What I was doing when I was covering up my sin is I was lying to myself. And I was lying to God. And I was lying to everybody else. See, when you are deceitful about your sin, you will lie to three different people. You'll lie to others. Hey, this is who I am. Everything's great. Everything's good on the outside. You'll lie to God. And then you'll lie, which I think is almost the most dangerous, is when you start lying to yourself and you start believing what you want to believe. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone, whether it's at work or whether you know, it's in a, in a family relationship, and you confront someone on an issue or something that they're doing that, that's a sinful or maybe it's hurtful or, or harming, and you, and you go to that person and say, hey, listen, here's something that you're doing, and you give them the actual evidence that this is what you're doing. And all of a sudden, after the meeting, you turn, you, they turn around like, I'm not doing anything wrong. You're the problem. And you're like, what? And, and you're like, this person doesn't get it. This person is completely clueless about, they, see, they don't see their sin. And what David was doing in verse 3 is when I kept silent, when I was ignoring my sin, when I was saying, I, I, I'm, I'm going to pretend like this is not here. I'm going to pretend that I am, I'm not going to listen. When David covered up, he was lying to himself. He tried to, be, he tried to protect his reputation and not only he tried to, try to protect his reputation, here's the most dangerous thing is he protected his idolatry. See, a lot of times when we don't, are not honest and open about our iniquity and our sin, a lot of times what happens is we're afraid of what's gonna, what are people going to think about me if I share, if, if this comes to the light, if this gets out, if people know me for who I really am. But really, I think one of the most dangerous things is that we fool ourselves and what really, what we're trying to protect is the sin that we love more than God. What is that sin for you? What is the sin that you keep going back to over and over and over again? Because you believe it will satisfy you more than God. 
You see, when we're not willing to deal with this honestly, and not just internally but externally, we will lie to ourselves and we'll keep covering up and protecting ourselves. But there's something that, that David realized. He knew all, even though he was doing this, he was not enjoying life. Luke says, is through my groaning. This is my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. See, he could, he could put up a front to everyone else that, hey, you know, he, David could show up to temple on, on the Sabbath and say, hey, everything's great. Everything was good. You can come to church on Sunday and smile and wave and just look so put together by everyone, but you know what it's like to lay your head on your pillow and to know what you've done against God and against others. And what God has, this is, there's an amazing thing that God's given to us. It's this, it's this alarm system, and it's called the conscience. And, and when we do something, when we sin, there's something that should be happening to us that should be making us, well, what I've done is wrong. The conscience is, it's kind of like this. Um, have you ever experienced food poisoning? Anybody experience food poisoning in this room? This room? Okay. It's, it is the worst experience on the face of this planet. Amen? I mean, it's horrible. It's, I, I, I've, never, I've never wanted to die in my life, but there was one time I wanted to die. And that's when I ate. I went to make, I, I was traveling. Uh, I was leaving from my family's home up in Pennsylvania, and I was driving back down. This is about 15 years ago or so. And... Uh, we are Sunday morning. We left Sunday morning to drive back, and I remember thinking, I'm going to get a Chick-fil-A biscuit, and I'm driving down the road, and all of a sudden, remember that moment when you think like, oh my goodness, it's Sunday, and I can't get Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm talking about? That horrible moment. You're like, oh, where am I going to eat today, you know? And so I remember pulling off, and we, I, McDonald's was open, so I go to McDonald's, and I bought a, I remember it was a sausage McMuffin with cheese. And I ate that thing. And let me tell you something. There was, I don't know if it was an old sausage McMuffin. I don't know what was in that sausage McMuffin, but it was like there was an alien inside of me for about 12 hours. It was, it was really bad. And it was the only moment. I remember laying in bed, huddled, sweating, vomiting. I'm just like, I think I want to die right now. That's how I felt. And, and the reason why I was in that moment is because my, my internal organs, my stomach and my digestive system was like, no, 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 no. You put something in here that is not good, and we must get it out as quickly as possible. Your stomach, that's, it's wired to do that. And here's, here's something that, there, it's no organ that we can find in our bodies, but there is a soul that we have as humans, and we have this thing called the conscience that when we sin against God, our conscience all of a sudden goes, ooh, get this out of our body. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, one of the things that is clear is that when we sin against a holy God, he has wired us as, as humanity to be like, alert, alert, alert. And then one of the most dangerous places we can be as human beings is when that alert is going off, our conscience is bothered by our sin, that we start ignoring it. Our, our, our soul is like, you got to get this sin out of here. But, but what we do, what, what we can tend to do, and what it was dangerous for all of us to do is to ignore that feeling and say, you know what? I'm going to be okay. You know, one of the things I remember telling my kids, and I think I've shared this either on the podcast or in this church, but I, I used to train my kids to answer this question. What is the most 
What is the most dangerous sin you can commit? What's the most dangerous sin you can commit? And they'd give me all their answers. And I would train them, no, no, the, the most dangerous sin you can commit is the sin that you believe you got away with. That's the most dangerous sin. The sin that you believe, I committed the sin and no one found out and no one saw and it didn't seem to bother me or it didn't seem to bother anyone, but there's this inter- and the, you start ignoring and the Bible is very clear that we can sear our consciences and harden our hearts. And, and I pray to God, if, you're, if someone's sitting here in this room this morning, that that alarm is going off in your conscience saying, you have got to repent. You have got to confess your sin. But you keep holding on because I've got, I've got to protect. I've got to protect my reputation. I've got to protect the control of my life. But, but it, it doesn't end there because, thankfully, what, what did David do? Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. See, he got to the point where he was covering up. There was two paths. He was experiencing the sorrow path as he was covering up his sin. And he realized, I can't cover my sin anymore. He acknowledged his sin to his heavenly father. He did not cover his iniquity and said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. What do we see here again? Again, we see this grouping of three. Acknowledging, not covering, confessing. You know, paralleling this this grouping of three. And he's saying, what, what he's saying is the path to joy, the path, the always the path to joy is always part of, of us repenting and confessing our sins. This is part of the human condition. Being a follower of Jesus, now now again, these are two issues that we're having here. This is not necessarily talking about someone coming to faith in Christ, dealing with our sin and and covering it completely by the the death and the blood of Jesus. This is dealing with our regular day-to-day sinfulness that that, that we deal with as, as just being human beings. But even though we are we are justified by the blood of Jesus. It is in our sanctification, how we are being conformed to the image of Jesus that our struggle is in. But we know this, that if, unless we repent, that process of sanctification is not going to happen. David learned, I, I'm going to stop lying to, to myself. I'm going to stop lying to my Savior. I'm going to stop lying to the people around me. And I'm going to confess this openly. And what did he receive from God? He received blessing. He received forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Here's something I want to point out. There are two different words for blessing and two different words for forgiven in the Hebrew language. Did you know that? There's two different words. The one word that's used for blessing, the, the, the majority word that's used for blessing is this idea of abundance, this idea of kneeling, or, or, or uh, you know, when God blesses, blesses humanity to be fruitful and multiply, there's that. It's the major, like 90% of the time, that word blessing is used. This word for blessing is this idea of being happy or joyful. It's, it's, it means that I, it literally means to walk in the straight path. It means I'm walking in the way I should live. When we live the way that we should live, when we follow the path that God has for us, that's when we're happy. We're happiest not when we get to do our own thing, when we mark out our own path. We are the happiest when we are following the path of our Creator and of our Savior. And so there's this word for blessing happy is the one who experiences forgiveness. And the two different words for forgiveness is one that's used predominantly that's this idea of pardoning 
or wiping the slate clean. That, hey, listen, you are forgiven. You, these are your offenses. These offenses are now gone. But this is not the word for forgiveness. This is only used maybe, uh, maybe 20 times in the Old Testament. This word for forgiven means to lift up the burden from. It means, listen, you no longer have to carry this sin. See, this is what Jesus did for us. When Jesus went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins, not only did he, not only did he wipe our slate clean with his blood, but he took on the weight of our sin. He said, no, you don't have to carry your sin anymore. I will carry it. When we are forgiven, that means Jesus has carried your sin. And what we do when we confess our sins and acknowledge God, we're saying, God, you, I'm, I'm giving this back to you because I know you have paid for this on the cross. And so that is so important for us to remember that we, we go back to the cross continually, not to be resaved or to be reborn again, but to remind ourselves of where we stand with God through Jesus. We are forgiven. And so we receive this forgiven, this, this he's bearing the load, he's bearing the load of the weight of our sin. And God is saying, I, I will carry this for you. I will be the one. See, Jesus is the only one who can cover our sin. He's the only one. When we try to cover up our sin, it will never work. It always gets out. But when God covers our sin, it is taken care of completely and totally. And that's when we receive the fullness of the joy of forgiveness. And so we have David just talking about his experience here. He's either going to, listen, I'm either going to cover up or I'm going to be covered. And you and, I, you and I have the choice this morning. All of us have the choice this morning as we, in this moment to whether or not we are going to let God cover our sins or we are going to cover our sins. You can't do both. You let God cover it or you'll cover it. But if you cover it, it is a path to sorrow. When you let God cover it, it is the path to joy. What is your choice? Lastly, there's, there's, a, there's, another, there's another choice we need to make, whether we're going to follow the path of joy or the path of sorrow. And that is we're either going to be closed off to God or we're going to be close to God. Closed off or we're going to be close. What you see here in verses 6 through 9 is, an, is a conversation between David and God. David responds, says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. David is now saying, I've learned something about you. I've, with this experience, with this journey I went on when I was sorrowful, when I was broken, and I was lost in my sin, now I've experienced something and I've learned something about myself. And what I've learned is this, I can't, I can't protect myself from my sin. I'm going to let you protect me. You see, one of the biggest problems that you and I have is we, we have fear motivating us and control motivating us to make our decisions on how we handle our sin. And if the path of joy is when we let, deal with sin the way God deals with sin, not the way we deal with sin, that's the way of sorrow. But when we, sit, when we try to, are fearful of like, I can't confess this, I can't like, because here's the thing, when you confess something, you take it out of your hands. You're saying, all right, God, I'm going to trust in you for the repercussions. I'm going to trust in you for the consequences. I'm going to trust in you for the restoration. See, when we hold on to these things, it's, it's a sin of control and it's a sin of fear. And you ought to be sitting here this morning 
trying to hold on. And what's motivating you is this, this fear and this control to say, I cannot confess this because I don't know what's going to happen to my marriage. I don't know what's going to happen, what my parents are going to think. I don't know what's going to happen to what my friends are going to think if I let this thing out into the open. And what I would say to you is this. It always will get out in the open. You're just delaying the inevitable. Every one of our sins will eventually be exposed. If you, you're believing the lie that you can cover up and you can protect yourself, that, that's, that's, that's a dead end. And what David has learned is saying, I, I've learned something. I've learned that when I'm in trouble, I'm going to cry out to you. When I'm in trouble, whether in the moment I sin, the moment I, I feel overwhelmed by, by the sin that is committing against me or the sin I'm committing, I'm just going to cry out to you. I'm going to run to you. You are my, what does he say? You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. What do we see here? Another Another grouping of three. Three actions of what David is going to do to respond to when, when he sins again. This is what I've learned. I'm running to you. You're my hiding place. You're the one who's going to deliver me. You're my savior. I can't deliver myself from my sin. You deliver me from my sin. So I know this is going to happen again. You see, what you and I have to do, we've got to break out of this cycle that we find ourselves in. We find ourselves in these, these cycles of sin over and over and over again. He's saying, listen, I've got to break the cycle of trusting in myself. And what I'm going to start doing is the moment I want to lie and hide and cover up, I'm going to run to you. I want to be close to you. I'm not going to close off myself from you because when we sin, we're afraid to go near to God because of his holiness and because of his goodness. But what David has learned is the moment I break this fellowship with you in my sin, I've learned to run to you. What, is the, what does the book of Hebrews say? It says, let's boldly approach the throne of grace. See, you will not do that unless you believe what the word of God teaches us. I love what it says in Romans 5. Romans 5, there's a lot, all these greater than statements. One of the things that Paul writes in Romans 5 is, is that the grace of God is greater than your offense. Do you believe that? The grace of God is greater than your offense. If you believe that, man, you will run to God when you sin. You'll run to him. Stop backing away. Stop saying, well, I can't go to Bible study. I can't go to church. I can't, I, I gotta get out of fellowship. I, I can't open my Bible. I gotta stop praying. You see what we intended? We, we close ourselves up from God when we walk away from him and when we commit sins. And David has learned now, to do the opposite. I'm going to run to you. I talked about this in our, one of our podcasts that Dan and I were talking about. Uh, a few weeks ago, we're talking, uh, we had our devotional and our elders meeting, and we're discussing the topic at hand, which was a devotional on the life of David and one of David's choices. And, and one of the guys, I'm not going to name his name, but he's the, one of the elders is like, you know what? I'm really frustrated with David. Because you know what? I mean, he's this guy, he's called man after God's own heart, but look at all the sins he commits. And he goes, starts labeling all the sins that David commits. He did this, he did that. I mean, just all these plethora of sins. And one of the other elders said, yeah, you're right. When you compare what he did com compared to what Saul did, it doesn't seem like Saul did hardly anything wrong compared to what David, but what David always did was that David always repented. David always ran back to God. 
And that's what we've got to learn to do. We've got to be close to him. Now look at what what God says in response to David's learning this lesson. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. What do we see here? God giving David three things. I will instruct you, I will teach you, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding what you must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near to you. What is he saying? God is saying, I want you close to me. I want to be close to you. I want you to be, listen, even when you sin, I want you to run to me because I am the one who can teach you how to change. This, this word teach here in the Hebrew is literally the word that means to shoot an arrow. He's saying, I can show you, if sin is to miss the mark, I'm the only one that can tell you how to hit the mark. I'm the only one. You need me. And guess what? Every single time you, you fall away from me, every time you sin, every time you rebel against me, there's an opportunity for you to learn something else to say, okay, I've learned this. Here's how I'm going to change. Some of us get stuck in this, not only a cycle of rebellion against God, but we get in the cycle of shame and guilt. And all of a sudden we're like, I can't, I, 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 listen, start getting curious instead of getting angry and shameful at your sin. Start wondering, like, God, what, what did I miss this time? God does not want to treat you like a horse and a mule where he's like, come on, get over here, let's go. He's saying, I've got my eye on you. Got my eye, I'm counseling with my eye upon you. I, you know, I have, I have a younger brother who's 10 years younger than me. His name's Richard. And uh, it's, it's great having a younger sibling that much younger than you. We're two different generations. He's a millennial, I'm a Gen Xer. But when he was a little child, I, I grew up in the, remember during the 80s, there was this huge thing that made every kid my generation scared to death of being kidnapped. And I remember this huge thing about, you know, not talking to strangers and mid-80s, I think it was when that, when that young uh, boy by the name of Adam was killed. But it was like everything all of a sudden was like, don't get kidnapped. And so all of a sudden that was like on my radar, not to be kidnapped. And so I remember my, my younger brother comes along and he's born in 1986. And you know, he's like two and three years old. Every story he went to, I'm like hovering over him because I didn't want anyone to take my brother. And sometimes I'd get mad at my mom, like, mom, mom. Do you see where Richard's going? And I, I was literally like a hawk over my brother for about two years of his life because I was so concerned about someone taking him. And when I think about that, this idea of where God says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I, I love that picture because what God is saying is, listen, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, I am watching out for you. I am there to, to hey, no, 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 that's not, come back this way. I'm here to counsel you because guess what? You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. In fact, I would say this. What God wants from us is holiness and not perfection. And there's a difference. Some of you are perfectionists. You get more mad at yourself than you do at actually committing sin when you sin because you're like, I should know better. I shouldn't do this. And you just... Right? But what... what God wants us to learn as he's saying, listen, I, I want you to know that when you veer off, I am there to bring you back in. I'm not going to beat you up. I just, the difference between holiness and perfection is the motivation for one is pride and the motivation for the other is love. 
when we are trying to live per- perfect lives, they're lives that when we want to look good for other people and for ourselves. But holiness has to do with the audience of God, and we do this out of love. And what you see in these four verses between David expressing his, his commitment to God and, and God expressing his commitment to David, you see this intimacy of closeness. You see David learning, I, I know how to run to you. And you see the promise of God saying, and I know how to help you. And that's the promise that you have this morning. I, I don't know where you are in the path. You're either on the path towards sorrow or you're on the path towards joy. But you have some decisions to make. A couple questions and then we're done. Number one, is there a sin that you need to stop covering and let Jesus cover? Is there a sin in your life that you've been covering for far too long? Even no one else knows about it, but you do, and God does. And, and let me just encourage you, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't even know where to turn, listen, come talk to me. Come talk to, or schedule an appointment with, or talk to your life community leader or, or talk to someone that you respect uh, spiritually. But, but you need to schedule an appointment with Mike, our counselor here on staff. You need to talk to someone. Stop covering it up. It'll only lead to more sorrow and more pain. Or you can let Jesus cover it. You can let his forgiveness and his blood cover it and restore you. Number two, who are you trusting for your deliverance? Who are you trusting for your protection? Is it you or God? Do you trust more in your protection and more in your deliverance? Or do you trust more in God's deliverance and protection? This is an issue of faith. Every single time we sin, it's an issue of what we're going to believe. I will either believe what the Bible says or what God tells me, or what Jesus has done, or I'm going to trust myself. Whenever I trust myself, I'm O for 10,000. God is, you know, God bats 1,000, I bat zero. Whenever that, that happens. Who are you going to trust? And lastly, what's drawing you near to Jesus? He's saying, I want you to be close. I want you to be close. I'm going to counsel you. I'm going to teach you. But you, you, you don't have to worry about me beating you. I'm not going to treat you like your father or your mother. I'm perfect and I'm holy and I'm good. And I know how to help you recover from your sin. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. The path towards sorrow or the path towards joy. All of us are on a trip this morning. All of us are, some, are on one highway or the other. Where are you? What is the Holy Spirit convicting you of right now in this moment? If you have questions about what it means to let God cover your sins or to experience the covering and the forgiveness of Jesus, if you have questions about that, man, come talk to us. We've got our prayer team out in the lobby. We've got a prayer team over on the right, or a prayer room over to the right. You can come talk to me or one of the other pastors. But if you have questions about what it means to receive the fullness of forgiveness, come talk to us. Don't leave here today with the questions about that. Father, I pray right now, I don't know the heart of every person in this room, but you do. And God, I can testify to the joy and to the goodness of repentance. God, I've I've had to walk that road many times. I've also walked the road many times, as you know, the road of sorrow because of my own pride and because of my own fear. 
So God, I just pray blessings. I pray, I pray for the courage and the bravery for people that need to deal with their sin the way you want them to deal with their sin, not the way they're dealing with their sin. We're asking you, God, to bring a spirit of repentance to this church. God, you want more for us. Let us yield ourselves to you in love. I pray these things in the name of Jesus.